0: Hello, Stonesies. Welcome to our weekly Stones cast for the week of the 4th of May. Winter is definitely coming um, as the weather has not so gently reminded us this weekend. We've had the fire on a lot, which has been really lovely actually. So, a quiz for you. What do movies like Little Miss Sunshine, Sideways, Thelma and Louise, Into the Wild, on the Road, Rain Man, what do they all have in common? do 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 thinking time and stop. Well, if you said all these movies are road trips, well, tick. You got that right. But they also describe visually what you could call a liminal state. I've been thinking about the word liminality a lot this week. So liminality is a word that comes from um, the Latin word limen, which means threshold. Liminality is a kind of in-between time or a state that is betwixt and between what we have known to be true or normal and what is unknown. It is characterised by contradictions including the suspension of the old, the holding of new possibility, of uncomfortableness and disorientation of sitting within the unknown. Hmm, does this sound a bit familiar to you? It does to me. I think perhaps in some ways we are living in and embodying a cultural moment of liminality. Michelle Treblecox says that, and I quote, There are moments, sometimes long and extended, when life seems to drop into a kind of suspended state between what we used to know in the past but are unable to know with conviction for the present. Again, sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Liminal moments have been described as uh, rites of passage like some kind of coming of age. Um, Sociologist Victor Turner wrote about that kind of thing. Um, The emotional space that we might occupy when someone dies or at a funeral um, or a place like an airport. And there's another um, Spielberg movie called The Terminal with Tom Hanks that describes that space uh, visually really well. I think we have a new example now of a liminal space, which is the life of COVID-19 social distancing. So for me in the past five weeks, I have felt at times like the ground has been shifting under my feet and I can't quite get my balance. Like what was normal life has rearranged itself on my page with some bits falling off and leaving blank spots and some parts of life crowding in and rewriting themselves in a new language that I actually can't quite read yet. So it feels like a bit of a suspension, it feels like a waiting, it feels like what Treblecock goes on to describe as a strange no-man's land between two walls of definition, the old has gone and the new has not yet arrived. And so the liminal moment is existentially opaque, which means that it's not clear, and essentially transitional. So in many ways liminality sounds a bit like a place or a space to avoid, doesn't it? It's a state that we wouldn't choose to be in necessarily. But there is much more than just uncertainty in a liminal space. It is actually a really powerful space to be in. And in fact, any spiritual leader or sociologist who has written about liminality will tell you that this is the place where spiritual transformation begins, where newness can begin. So Van Gennep was the person who coined the term liminality at the turn of the 20th century, and he understood that sacredness is born in liminal moments. Richard Rohr writes that all transformation takes place inside liminal space. If God wants to get you, which God always does, the chances are best during any liminal time. I like that. It kind of suggests that liminal spaces are not moments to run from, but moments to rest or sit in and wait for God to turn up because he will. There are two examples um, that have stood out to me of liminal moments in the Bible. There are probably heaps of them, um, but I'm just going to draw your attention to these two particular moments and they have very different outcomes. Both of these moments show that how we live in a liminal moment of our lives has everything to do with our future and where it leads. So the first example I wanna give you, uh, spoiler alert, it's a bad ending, comes from exodus 32 and it's with the story where the israelites who have been traveling for three months after being delivered from slavery in egypt they arrive at mount sinai this is a significant place for them and they set up camp here so moses their leader decides to go and speak with god on the mountain and the israelite people are asked to wait aaron is put in charge of them but moses is actually gone for a very long time he ends up being away for 40 days And as they enter this time of waiting, they get increasingly frustrated and begin to say things like, well, we don't know what's become of our leader. So instead, they pressure Aaron and they ask him if they can build their own idol. So they build an idol by melting all their jewelry. They reconstruct a golden calf and start making sacrifices to it and start worshipping it. Actually, what God was really doing with Moses during that time was infilling their collective future with instructions about how to live. But the liminality for the Israelites was too much. The waiting was frustrating and it was hard. So they didn't wait. And while God was doing something new for them, the people went back to something old. They created and worshipped an inanimate object instead of the living God. And let's just say that this particular chapter in the story of the Israelites didn't end well. And thousands of them died as a direct result of this. So the second story, spoiler alert, it's a good ending. Rewind back here to the story of Jacob. So Jacob is one of two sons, twins, born to Isaac and Rebekah. He's a grandson of Abraham. His name means deceiver. You see, Jacob is generally not your average nice guy. He was pretty awful sibling. He deceived his brother of his birthright, among other things. So at one point in his life... A little bit later in his life, he has family and he has built some of his own wealth. But he's running away from his problems, aka his brother who's coming after him with a whole army. He has no home. His identity is a farce. He has split from his family to try and keep them alive. And so he's alone on the road. And I reckon this would have been kind of a good on the road movie, (laughs) actually. Um, But it's a very liminal moment in the life of Jacob. So one night, Jacob is trying to sleep with his head on a rock. And he's interrupted by God, we find out a little bit later in the story. And God physically wrestles with Jacob. The wrestle ends, or the duel ends, by God touching Jacob's hip and dislocating it. And in a great amount of pain, Jacob actually demands of God that he doesn't leave him until he is blessed by God. God does bless him and gives him a new name and he calls him Israel. And from this man, Israel, God builds a whole new nation to bless the earth um, that we know is the continuing story of the Israelites from whom Jesus was born. So two liminal moments in time and two outcomes. I have suggested just earlier that we are all in some kind of cultural liminal moment um, right now. We can do many things in a liminal moment particularly if it's imposed on us without our consent, which is most of the time, and certainly now. Uh, As Terry Walling from California states, we can first um, take back control and get busy and beat the system. Type A's. (laughs) These are the doers, those who won't sit still. Second, we can bunker down, isolate, internalise, retreat to survive. These are the, I have to get through this alive, leave me alone, I need to think kind of people. Third, we can return to what we know and try and reconstruct habit and routine and tradition, because, well, if it worked before, surely it will work again. Of course, this is stereotyping people, but I think, honestly, I am a bit of a frightening combo of all three of those, but mostly the last one. You know, if I just stick with what I know, thanks very much, it might work. Which liminal personality are you? The Israelites did a bit of the first and the third. They took back control, they got busy, they made a golden calf, and went back to the old habits of worshipping it, and making sacrifices to it. This had worked before, so why not now? So while God was busy with Moses doing something entirely new for his people, they fell back on control and tradition, and rewrote their own future according to themselves. And Mr Sneaky Man Jacob? Well, actually Jacob took a fourth option. He recognised the moment and the significance of the liminal moment. He recognised who his wrestle was with in that moment, and it wasn't with his brother, or his army. It's the same for all of us. Treblecock writes, Liminality is a natural part of human experience, which presents the follower of Jesus with an opportunity. Surviving liminality requires faith and understanding. This is not the end of the story. There has been one who has been here before. It is, in fact, an opportunity to come into intimate contact with that one. Saying yes to this opportunity means embracing the moment, standing still in the dark, or lying with Jesus in the grave, or, like Jacob, this is my little add-in, wrestling with God for a blessing. It is a strange mix, for at once there is the letting go of the old, a refusal to draw on human resources, the determined act of trusting that there is a future, even if we can't see it. There is a power beyond the grave to come to our rescue, break through the meaninglessness with purpose, and redeem the old ways so they make sense again, in a new light. So as we sit in this liminal time of our lives, what will you build? Will you build an edifice of self-control? Will you dig a hole of disappointment to bunker down in and wrap your layers of self-protection with? Will you build a cracking family routine to reinstate everything that has been working before? Or will you trust that God is, right now, filling in your future if you wait on him? My encouragement to you is this. In the liminal moments, we cannot see what is ahead. When we are weakest and we have the least to offer, it is in these moments that God can be God if we allow. If we don't try and control, if we don't shut him out with our routines, if we don't turn away from him in our self-protection. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weakest, then I am strong. So this is the space God can and will transform us and our futures if we let him. He is building something new for you. Wait on God, wrestle with God, seek God, sit with God in whatever scale of uncomfortable or disappointment you feel. God is there more than anywhere you've ever known. So be like Jacob, who knew that life was not worth living without God's blessing. In this liminal time, do not, as John Bloom writes, let God go until he blesses you. Let's pray together. God, you are God of all our time and space. And in this moment that seems liminal, it seems in between, it's odd, it's weird, we don't quite know what the future holds. God, we know that you are here with us. We know that you are working to fill in our future here and now. God, we put our trust in your future for us. In whatever we can't see, in whatever we can't know, God, we pray that we will wait on you, that we will wrestle with you, that we won't forget you, we won't try and control our lives without you we won't hide from you and we won't go back to what we know but instead seek your face and seek your heart for our futures father we pray for everyone in our community this week god that you will give us grace and patience that you'll give us love for one another that you'll give us hope and your joy in jesus name amen